fact, Luther himself knew this, which is why Luther said this, that there are three conversions necessary for the Christian life. The heart, the mind, and the purse, or the wallet. Because we don't like talking about generosity, and many times that is, it's because we look at what we have, and we look at our resources, and we can see them as we give them away. Or we think, you know what, I only have so much at my disposal, so if I give some of it away, it means I have less. And, and it's valuable to me because I know all the things I could do with it, and if I could do all these things with it, then why would I want to give it away and not be able to do those things? And, and plus, I work really hard for that. I get up early, I go to bed late, I answer emails, I'm constantly talking to people, I put a lot of time and energy and effort into collecting for myself the resources that I have. A preacher I once was listening to said this. He said, when you think about your money, your resources, he says, do you know what this is? He said, what this really is, is this is crystallized, materialized sweat. Right, it is. It's all your work, all your time, all your energy, all that you have done, the emails that you have answered, the worries, the stresses, the burdens. All that time that you put in is turned into this. This is what you get back for it, and it's really, this is your crystallized sweat. Which is why it is hard for us to say, well, it's my crystallized sweat, and, and then I'm supposed to be generous with this? So we're going to ask the question today, in the midst of that, what does a heart of generosity look like? A heart that is good stewards and, and gives what God calls us to in a generous way, and, and how do we get a heart like that? And we're going to look at that in the words of uh, the Lord as David speaks and as uh, we hear what happens in the lives of David and Solomon. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. If you want to follow along, you can find it on page 356 in the Bibles in front of you. When we get to the very last section, uh, there is a part that will not be on the screen that I really would like you to follow along with, so I'd love for you to open up this morning, page 356, 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29. We're not going to spend a lot of time in chapter 28. I just want to briefly give you the history behind what is about to happen in the life of David. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28. David is coming to the end of his life. In fact, his life's end is so close that while he were looking at chapter 28 and 29, David's death is recorded in chapter 29 right at the very end around verse 26. So that's how close we are to the end of David's life. As he's speaking, we hear about the one thing that David wanted to do with his heart wholeheartedly on behalf of in honor and, and to bring glory to God, and God told him no, and that was to build the temple. In fact, we heard that in our reading. David had in his heart to build the temple, but God said, you're a man of war with blood on your hands. The temple is holy, so I will not have you build the temple. And so David says, okay, well then I'm going to give the plans to my son. But when he says that, we actually hear these words that David speaks in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 19, where he says, all of this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Meaning all of the plans for how this temple was to be built, they were not David's plans. He said, the Lord gave it to me. 
And it's a reminder that when we think about our buildings and we think about the, the things that we have and we think about our lives, it's not ours or it shouldn't be. It, it should be built and put together and used as God calls us to because all of it is His. So he starts to talk about the plans and this is what the temple, Solomon's temple, would have looked like. In fact, if you ever go to Israel, uh, they actually have this model. When I was in Israel, I got to see this model. And, and when you look at the model, you can see the rest of Jerusalem at that time in the background. You can see that your eyes are immediately drawn to the temple. Big, beautiful, spacious. But as we look at this, one of the things that we're going to see as David speaks about this is that the purpose of the building of the temple was never to bring attention to David or Solomon. It was never so people could go, wow, Solomon, look at how big that temple is that you built. And you did an amazing job, Solomon. David, I cannot believe how many resources you left for that temple. David, how, look, at, look at what you did. It was never to make a name for themselves. Their generosity and what they did in building what they built was always and only in honor of God and to glorify his name. We're going to see that in the midst of our text today. So David now speaks to the leaders and to the people in chapter 29, and he says this. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, he is young and inexperienced and the work is great. For the palace, now here's that point, the palace will not be for man, but it will be for God. Again, a reminder of whose glory it is all about. And it's a reminder about why we even have buildings. Because remember, this place that we're worshiping in, this sanctuary, while it is holy to God and glorifies His name, the whole purpose of the buildings we have is not just to have big buildings. But it's for the sake of the ministry that takes place inside of those buildings for the Lord, as David talks about here. If you remember back to when we were going through the sermon series on grace going forward and we were talking about the church, we said the church is not the building. The church is God's people, wherever two or three are gathered, who glorify his name. And so the point of the temple and the point of a sanctuary and the point of these buildings is really it's about ministry. It's about what happens inside of these places. In fact, in a few verses, we're going to hear the leaders as the leaders respond to David. It says, they gave for the work of the service of the building of the temple. Meaning it wasn't just the building of the temple, but the service that happened inside of it. Because what happens inside the temple? God's presence dwells there. Sacrifices were offered on behalf of the people to forgive their sins. Lives were changed in the midst of the temple. And so what is the purpose for the buildings which we have here at Grace? Well, it's the same. So that we can celebrate God's presence, which is truly among us. So that we can watch children baptized and brought into the family of God. So that we can receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, given and shed for you and for me. And in that sacrifice, we can receive his gifts. You see, just like with the temple, the building wasn't about the building. 
Because buildings are built and they're destroyed, but it's about what took place inside of that building, what's taking place upstairs right now in the lives of our children as they're hearing about Jesus, and what's taking place right now as we're spending time in God's Word and He is working in our lives. It is about ministry. And so David says, this is not for man, but it is for the Lord, for His use. So then he goes on, I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. What a very important understanding that is. It says, as far as I was able to provide for the Lord, that is what I gave. It's a reminder, first of all, that God doesn't ask us to give according to what others have, but only according to what we are able to give. And we all have different abilities to give, right? Your ability to give right now is probably different than your ability to give when you were in college was. Different than when you were in high school and your only job was, was babysitting or getting an allowance from your parents. Right? There's different capacities, which is why when Jesus sees the widow and she comes to the temple and she puts in her two small mites, Jesus could say she gave more than anybody else did because she gave everything. Because it wasn't about the amount that was put into the offering plate, it was about the percentage that was put into the offering plate. God doesn't ask us to do what others are able to do, and God never measures our offering against anybody else's offering. God only looks at our offering in comparison to what we are able to give based on all that God has blessed us with. And so David gives that understanding. He goes, I gave as the Lord provided, and he understood this. I mean, think about the life of David. Think about how victorious and successful and prosperous he was. Think about how many armies and nations he defeated and how rich the kingdom grew. And he understood, he says, says all of these riches and all of this success and all of these victories, they're not from me. I didn't do this. God did. God gave the victory. God gave the success. God gave the resources. So it's not really mine, it's his. So I'm only giving to God what's already his. We're actually going to see that at the very end in the prayer that David offers up to God in the midst of the generosity of his people. It says, so this is not mine. He repeats this like six times. It's not mine. It's God's. He owns it all. I own nothing. So I'm just giving to God what's already his. And so David then goes on, and as he talks about what he's able to give, he begins to list all of the gold and all of the silver and all of the stones, all the way verses through verse 3 and 4, and he says, I am giving this because of my devotion to the house of my God. Do you see that? It's at the very end of verse 3. And because of my devotion to the house of God, I give it to the house of God. What David is saying is this, he goes, he goes, if you want to know how devoted a person is, don't just hear what they say, but see what they do. Because we can say we're devoted to something, but not really be devoted to it and give lip service to something. And so here he goes, I give this because of my devotion to the house of God and to the ministry that takes place in the midst of it. And then this is my act of worship, my act of devotion is my generosity. And he, he lists this and I was looking up, I go, okay, so how much did David actually give as an inheritance? And so I looked at, uh, I talked about the 3,000 talents of gold that he gave and I went online and started researching, okay, so how many pounds of gold was that and how much is a pound of gold worth? And, and I was a math major, so I did the math because it was fun for me. For some of you, you're like, that's kind of boring, but I loved it. And after I did it, do you know how much money he gave to the building of the temple? 
$4.5 million to the building of the temple in today's language. Now, imagine you're the son watching your dad give your inheritance to the temple, right? Like, thanks, Dad. That was supposed to be your will and estate to me. But David had taught Solomon about generosity as well. In fact, one of the things I loved about that video we watched before was that it was the dad teaching the daughter how to be generous, wasn't it? It's the inheritance David talks about. You know where I learned generosity? It wasn't from church. It wasn't from worship. It wasn't from the pastors. I learned generosity from my parents. When I watched my dad write that check out every week, put it in the offering envelope and pin it to the bulletin board right next to the garage and then remind one of us to always grab that offering on the way out and whoever got to grab the offering, meaning the first one out, right? That's how we were motivated to get in the car more quickly on a Sunday morning. The first one out got to grab the offering on the way out and they got to be the one that put it in the offering plate. That's where I learned generosity. And David in this moment, he is teaching his son a greater lesson. He is giving him a greater inheritance than gold and silver. He is giving him the inheritance of trusting and being generous to the service of the ministry that changes lives in the building of God's kingdom. And here's what's really interesting about this. Would David ever see the temple? No, never. David gave to something he would never see and he would never use. That's not always what we like to give to, is it? Because when we give, we want to give to things we use that benefit us, that benefit our children, that benefit our family. But David gave to something he would never use, ever. Because he understood how significant it was that he was providing for something that would do ministry to change lives and build the kingdom. And then at the end of this, David makes this amazing appeal. As talking, he talks about his own generosity. And then he says, so then, who will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? He asks the people of God that point blank in front of the congregation, speaking directly to the leaders and saying to the leaders, will you join me as a leader of God's people in offer willingly and consecrating yourself to the Lord? Now, I think it's interesting that word consecrating because that word consecrating can have one of two meanings. It can be making holy or filling God's hands. And sometimes the writers will actually use it to be both. And I believe in this case, there is a way in which, as David says this, he means both. Will you fill God's hands out of all that he has blessed you with for the sake of the ministry of God and the building of his temple? And will you show your holiness? Will you display your holiness, thus consecrating yourself to the Lord this day? Because there is a way in which our generosity displays our heart and the holiness that God has given to us. So David makes this appeal to the leaders, and now the leaders have a choice of how they're going to respond, and we hear then how the leaders respond in verse 6. So then the leaders of the Father's house made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and the officers of the king's work, and they gave for the service of the house of God. So notice again, it says the service of the house of God. So not just the building of it, but the service that takes place within the house of God. In fact, throughout the scriptures, what you come to find out is that there are really three things that the offerings, the generosity of God's people were always used for. 
In fact, if you listen to the words of Moses, I preached on this about a year ago when he was building the tabernacle and called the people to give. He says, says, you're giving to three things. David would say it too, the rest of the scriptures too. He says, you're giving it for the building of, of the facility. You're giving it for the priests or the staff that serve within that temple and facility. And you're giving it towards the work that's taking place inside of it or ministry. Facility, staff, and ministry. In fact... That's exactly what, when we think about what God is doing here amongst us, God continues to use our resources for facility, staff, and ministry for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God. So it says they gave towards this work of the service of God. Then it lists everything that they gave. And I was thinking about this. Could you imagine that day of worship? Where David stands up and says, all right, this is what I'm giving. Who's in? Are you in? You with me on this? And the leaders then stand up and they start coming forward and bringing their offerings one after another after another. How awesome must that day have been? Do you know how much money they collected? Well, I did the math on that too because it was fun. They gave tens of billions of dollars that day for the building of God's temple. They said, we don't just want to say we want this, but we're gonna show that we want it. We're not just gonna use lip service to say, hey, that would be great to have a temple, but we as God's people believe that this is what God is calling us to, and because God's calling us to it, we're not just gonna say it, but we're gonna actually do something about it, and we are all in. As David says, are you in with me? They said, we're all in with you. And another principle you learn in this is that leaders go first. Leaders are generous first because that's how we participate in the work that God is doing. And so we as the leaders here at Grace and the staff at Grace, when we call you to be generous, we're not asking you to do something that we're not doing ourselves because we are all in and we are all in together participating in what God is doing. Another thing that we see is this. Do you notice in this text and in the text of the widow's might that none of that giving was private? Now, I'm not saying we're going to publish everyone's giving, so we're not going there. But did everybody know what David gave? Did everybody know what the leaders gave? It's listed for you. Did everybody know what the widow gave? Yeah, because the giving was personal but not private. Because they had no reason to be ashamed for their giving because they were giving freely and willingly. And then they knew what they were giving for. In fact, I would ask you this. When you give, what are you giving towards? I just want you to think about it. I want you to answer. I want you to think about that. When you put your offering in the offering plate, or or my family and I, when every year we prayerfully, prayerfully adjust our giving, our generosity for the sake of the ministry here at Grace, when you're doing that, what are you giving towards? I think sometimes we think that we're giving towards a budget so that the numbers are black instead of red. Can I tell you that is not what you're giving towards? In fact, that's what you're giving towards. It feels a whole lot more like obligation than opportunity. There is a whole lot less joy when you're giving to a budget. Can I tell you what you're giving towards? You're giving towards our ability to have babies baptized. You're giving towards our ability to have a beautiful upstairs and staff upstairs so that right now we can teach your children about Jesus. You're giving so that we can have teachers 
in our Lutheran day school here at Grace, who every day are pouring into your children so that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're giving so that we can have a beautiful sanctuary where we can gather together and receive God's gifts and hear his word. You're giving so that we can have electricity so that we can see screens and hear music that are coming from our praise team. You're giving so that we can go out into this world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're giving so that we can have adult ministries and student ministries and and school ministries and missions ministry and care ministry and worship ministry. You're giving not to a budget. You're giving to lives, lives that are being changed. And this is what David, and this is what the people knew. They weren't giving to some sort of budget. They were giving to lives. And because of that, that's why they responded so freely and joyously because they realized that their giving, that they could see the faces of the people around them whose lives were gonna be changed because of what they gave. And do you know on a Sunday morning when you give your offering, you can do the same. You can look around this sanctuary and see the faces of other people and their lives that are being changed because of your generosity towards the building of the kingdom of God. The other thing that I was thinking about that was interesting is in our voters meeting in a a few hours, we're gonna talk about just an initial update on our ministry facility expansion and, and building committee. Do you know that there are three building projects in the Old Testament, three. And in every single one of those building projects, do you know how much debt they took out? Their cumulative amount of debt in three building projects. Zero. They didn't need to. Because God's people responded freely and willingly, offering up everything they had joyfully for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God. You know what he's talking about here is that To be wholeheartedly for God, to have a heart after God, means to know the joy of generosity, the joy of lives being changed because of what we are able to do as we participate in the building of the kingdom of God. Because the truth is, you and I, we are always building something. We are. We're building in the lives of our children. We're building our homes, whether it is building a literal home or building our homes up or beautifying our homes. We're building our careers. We're building what we want out of our life. But can I tell you that what David understood that the most important thing that we could ever build is, it's not another building. It's a legacy that points people to Jesus Christ. It's a legacy that says the work of God and the ministry of God is so important that we can't help but joyously, freely, and willingly offer everything to God. And so the people who gave tens of billions, it says, then when everybody had given, the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for with a whole heart they offered freely to the Lord and David the king also rejoiced. Wholeheartedly they had a heart after God which meant that they had the joy of generosity within them. But I'll tell you that that joy of generosity, it is a journey. It is. And many times we don't start there, but that's where God wants to lead us so that in the end we would have that joy of generosity, freely giving to God as he's so freely and generously given to us. I know for me it's been a journey towards generosity. Do you know when it was easiest to be generous, at least in my, in my life? It was in college or in high school. Do you know why? Because I didn't realize how many bills you have when you become an adult. Right? You start, you graduate from college and you move on in your own and you're all excited like, this is gonna be awesome until you open the mailbox. 
And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, there's a rent check and oh, I forgot my parents paid electric and gas and a car bill and insurance. And then you start looking at all the bills. And you're like, this is terrible. I'm moving back home, right? And all of a sudden you're like, man, that, that pool of crystallized sweat becomes a whole lot smaller, doesn't it? And then what happens in our life as we journey through it is we start to realize that if we continue to be generous, that God says, who says, test me in this, will always provide for all of our needs. We just don't know it because we live by might instead of able. You know what I mean by that? We live by might instead of able? It's this, you know what? It might rain today, so we better make different plans. It might snow, so we're gonna stay home. There might be traffic, we should take a different route. This might happen, so we need to do something else instead. We might have car repairs, we might have issues with the furnace, we might have, and so we need to, to keep our money because of all the mites, instead of living by the ables. Well, God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within him. We live by our mites instead of God's ables, and those mites begin to restrict us. I'm reminded of a story of a farmer this farmer uh, had a small farm, a poor farmer, just a few cattle and cows on his, his ranch. And one day he came into the house just overjoyed and, and exploding with news. And he said to his wife, uh, hey, I, can't, I can't believe it, but our cow is finally pregnant. And we're going to have a baby calf and we're going to be able to take that calf and raise it a little bit. And then we'll sell the calf and we'll be able to use that money and pay off all of our debts. And, and what an amazing blessing that is. About two weeks later, that farmer comes back into the house even more joy-filled and goes, goes, honey, I cannot believe it. We don't just have one cow, but our cow is pregnant with twins. God is good. His wife said, absolutely, God is good and we are godly. So you know what we should do is we should take one of those cows and when we sell it, we'll pay off our debt. And with the other cow, we're going to sell it and we're going to give the money for the ministry of the church we're a part of. And the farmer for a second kind of thought, and looked at his feet and said, you're right, we're a godly family, so, so we should do that. So, so we're going to take one cow, sell it, pay off debt, and the other cow, sell it, and use it for the ministry of the church. So they raised that cow and took care of the cow during the pregnancy, and, and the two calves were born, and as the calves were born, the farmer came back into the house with tears in his eyes. His wife looked at him and said, so what's, what's the matter? Why are you so upset? He said, well, the first cow was born and was really, really healthy, but the second cow was born, and, and I just hate to tell you, but God's cow died. To which the wife said, I didn't know we designated one of them as God's cow. And he said, oh, yeah, 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 from inside the womb, I knew exactly which one was God's cow and which one was ours, and God's cows die. And at that moment, as I was listening to that story, the preacher says, how come it is always God's cow that dies? You ever notice that? When the budget gets cramped, when things get difficult, and when all of those might happens come into play, it's God's cow that dies. Instead of God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine so that we might not live by the mites, but the ables, God's ables of life. As I was studying this text, I was looking then at verses 10 through 19, and that's why I wanted you to look at this. 
Because after David does this and the people rejoice and they, they have this joy of generosity, David offers a prayer. It is just one of the most beautiful prayers in scripture. It is the prayer of generosity. And as we read that prayer this morning, what I want you to understand is, is I want you to think about a couple of things. Think about how many times in this prayer David says these words in some way, shape, or form. He says, God, we're just giving to you what's already yours. Who are we that we should be able to give back to you what's yours? It's not ours, it's yours. So you think sometimes what we, we do is this. I don't know how many of you have ever had this experience where, where you say something like, all right, you're going out shopping and, and you pull your debit card out to pay for whatever you're going to purchase. And then you look at what's in your bank account and you're like, okay, just give me a second. I need to transfer money from savings to checking to cover this purchase. Do you ever have that experience? I got to transfer savings to checking to cover the purchase. I think there's sometimes where we think, all right, you know, when I give to the offering plate, what I'm doing is I'm transferring things from my savings account to God's savings account. But if everything is God's, then it was really never in our savings account to begin with. Because it's God's crystallized sweat. It's God's gifts. It's God's generosity to you. So today, to finish, what I want to do this morning is I want to finish the way David finished because I think that's what it means to have a heart after God. So I want to ask you the same question that David asked the people of God. And then we're going to close in prayer, but it's not going to be my prayer. What I'm going to pray for us today is I'm going to pray David's prayer. And I would love for you to follow along as I pray David's prayer. So I ask you this day, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord? Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth, it is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above everything. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people? that we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for the building of you, a house for your holy name, comes from your hand and it is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have offered freely all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct our hearts to you. Grant to all of us a whole heart that we may keep your commandments and testimonies and your statutes performing all that we may build the ministry for which you have made provision through us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give to you his everlasting peace. Amen.